me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 12 through 14 as we continue our study in the words of Jesus and uh, our discipleship in following him. Uh, I'm actually going to just look at verses 13 and 14 this morning. I'm going to come back to verse 12 last week. I've been working through this for the last couple of weeks. I had it all as one sermon, and now I've separated it out, and I've actually spent more time in 13 and 14, so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to come back and, and hit verse 12 next week. Uh, when I started my junior year of college, I had to pick a minor. I don't even know if they still do minors in college or not, but I had to pick one, and so I picked business management because I really hadn't had a whole lot of experience in business and thought that it would be, uh, that it'd be fun to study, and I had economics uh, with T. Hadley Mitchell was the name of my professor. That just sounds like a guy that knows a lot about economics. And he used all different kinds of words and all different kinds of phrases that, that when you finally boiled it down, it was kind of like, how does commerce work? This morning, Jesus is going to give us a theological economics lesson. He's going to ask us a question about benefit and about cost and which we will choose. Matthew chapter 7, not T. Hadley Mitchell, but the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus is speaking, talking to his disciples, and he says this in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, And those that find it are few. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite you just to have a a few seconds of silent prayer. And the prayer is very simple. God, please teach me what you want me to know this morning. Please impact my life with what you want to do today. Father, thank you for the worship and music that we've just experienced. I'm not a, a very good singer, but I, but I love music at Green Tree. I love the words uh, that are sung. I love the way you teach us about yourself through worship and how you stir our hearts and our emotions. And I sang this morning along with a lot of other folks, Lord Jesus, if ever I loved you, it's now. Uh, and I have to make that a prayer. I can't make that as a claim. Because, Lord, you know my heart. You know the struggles that are there. You know that there are times when when I love you and there are times when I walk away. There are times when I embrace the light and there are other times when I sit in the darkness. Father, we we come to you this morning as feeble people. Even those of us that that love you and are your disciples long to follow you. Uh, We are far from perfect. And we struggle with faith. We struggle with trusting you with everything in our life. I, I think about what that represents in this room this morning, everything in our lives. And if we went around, there would be a lot, of, a lot of challenges in front of us. A lot of people with heartache this morning. A lot of people with, with feeling of brokenness this morning. A lot of people filled with joy as well. So Lord, it's good that we come before you this morning and ask that you would speak to us, that you would teach us through your word that you would be so good as to not let us leave here unchanged. Not let us leave here the same person we were when we walked in the door. 
So, Father, wherever we are in a spiritual journey, maybe at the very outset, maybe just questioning whether or not there is a God, wondering if there is what he may think of me and what he may expect of me, or or whether we've been disciples for many, many years. Father, your word is applicable to every life in this room, and so we pray that your spirit would teach us. Forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn and know and apply to our lives this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's get down to this lesson in economics. Let me give you the the sermon in just a very brief sentence this morning. We go to the next slide if you don't, or or no, I'm sorry, back up. I'm sorry, I was looking at the bottom. What we want to try to do this morning is determine the benefit-cost ratio of discipleship. What Jesus is teaching us this morning is there's, there's a benefit and there's a cost, there's a choice to be made, and which way will we go? Now, just technically speaking, if T. Hadley Mitchell were here this morning, he would put this on the board for us to make sure that we all understood uh, the, the theory, uh, the, uh, the equation that we're working with. A benefit-cost ratio takes into account the amount of monetary gain realized by performing a project versus the amount of cost to execute the project. The higher the benefit-cost ratio, the better the investment. The general rule of thumb is if the benefit is higher than the cost, pro, uh, the cost of the project, it is a good investment. Now, a lot of you are business folks. You're going, yeah, we, we get that all the time. It's basically how much you have to spend and how much you're going to make, and, and you've got to make more than you spend, or it's not a good deal. Uh, others of us are kind of scratching our heads and going, okay, I haven't heard that language before. I'm not quite sure. So for those of you that might struggle a little bit like me, let me give you an example from when I was eight years old and I applied this theory to my life. Let me take you to my lemonade stand and my friend Bill Wood. Bill Wood and I decided one day we're going to put up a lemonade stand, and the benefit, as we figured, was going to be $10 per guy. We were each going to make 10 bucks. Now, so we had to look at our cost. What would it cost us to do the lemonade stand? And we really had a good deal because our costs were extraordinarily minimal because we were going to swipe everything out of the kitchen from our parents' house to make the lemonade. So we had no cost. It was, it, it was a free, literally a free market. Mom and Dad supplied the ingredients. So we did need some supplies. We needed some magic markers and a piece of paper so we could put a sign up that, you know, said Bill and Tom's most excellent lemonade stand, 50 cents uh, a cup of lemonade. So we had some supplies we had to gather. That took a little bit of time. And then we figured in 30 minutes we could sell at least 40 cups of lemonade at 50 cents a cup. So the result would be a gold mine, right? I mean, how hard can this be? And every business transaction that I've ever thought of in my entire life has had this model, and pretty much every one I've ever jumped into has had the same result. Now, this one, the result wasn't too terrible. It was a you know, waste of about an hour and a half sitting by the side of the road, which, by the way, if you're going to do a lemonade stand, pick a street where people actually drive by during the day. That would be really, really helpful. I'm pretty sure four cars passed us at about 45 miles an hour in, uh, in the 30 or 40 minutes that we sat there. So we had some flaws, but that's the notion. What am I going to get? What's it going to cost me? And is what I'm going to get be better than the cost? That's the technical term. The question before us this morning in Scripture is a little bit more significant than that. What is the benefit-cost ratio of rejecting Jesus' offer of life? On the flip side, what is the benefit-cost ratio of putting our trust in him and accepting that which he offers? Well, let's look at the benefit-cost ratio first of rejecting Jesus. What if we say, no thanks, we've heard it, appreciate your effort, but not interested? It doesn't seem that it's of enough benefit that I should 
uh, take the cost. What if we reject this notion? Well, look at verses 13. It says this, For the gate is wide, Jesus is speaking, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So I want to start with the benefits. And this particular uh, part of the, the, uh, the sermon, when we get to the second half, we'll flip it around. But what is the benefit? Well, the first benefit is that the gate is wide. There's, there's plenty of room here. It's easy to spot this gate. You don't have to wander around and look for it. You don't have to have laser focus to find it. It's got bright lights flashing. You can't hardly miss it. If you've ever flown over Las Vegas, Nevada, or driven to Las Vegas, Nevada, it's in the desert, and it's nothing but lights and a bunch of fake promises, but, but you can't miss it. If you're driving through the desert, if you're flying, I remember flying, I don't remember where I was flying back from somewhere out west and, and flew over, and the guy said, there's Las Vegas, and you looked at the and was like, yeah, no way you can miss it. The gate is wide. It's very easy to spot. It's an obvious choice. There's no limit on luggage. There's no limit on how much you can bring. There's nobody that's saying you get to check two bags, and after that, you have to pay more. I actually thought of bringing seven or eight big suitcases this morning, kind of as a visual. But think about going on a trip, and think about all the things that you want to take. If you've ever been on a plane before, and you see the person that has their one personal item, and their one carry-on, right? And then, you know, maybe another small bag that doesn't really count as a personal item, and then a gift that they're taking home, you know, and you're like, you're not going to get all that in the overhead bin, I was actually, I flew out to Denver and back on Friday. I had a meeting in Denver, and I, I didn't even go overnight. I got back, went out and got back. When I was going out, there was a guy that, would, that got on the plane and took another person's piece of luggage out and put his in and then moved the other person's piece of luggage. That was a really fun conversation to listen to. That was really, a, a, that was very interesting. Um, and he ended up moving everything and putting it back where she wanted it to be in the first place. But this gate is wide. You can bring everything you want. You want to bring some gossip with you? Be my guest. You want to bring the hatred towards those people in your life who have, who have done you wrong? The more the merrier. Bring everything you want. Bring all of your baggage. There's no limit because the gate is so wide, you could drive 15 bulldozers through it and still not be crowded. It's one of the benefits of this, this, is, this pathway to travel is that it's a wide gate. But it's also a relaxed pathway. The gate is wide. The way is easy. Who doesn't want the, the shortest, the best, the simplest way to get from point A to point B? There aren't a lot of requirements as to what passes through this gate. So pretty much anything on the pathway goes. If you want to be your own God, you've come to the right place. You get on this pathway, you get to make all the decisions for your life. What's moral to you? What isn't moral to you? How much money is enough? How much money to keep? How much money to, to give to someone else should that thought cross your mind? The notion of how you want to treat other people, it's up to you. There's no right or wrong on this pathway. It's all pretty much relative, and anything goes. As John Stott said, there's a diversity of opinions and a laxity of morals along this pathway. You pretty much bring whatever you want to bring, and you pretty much act any way you want to act, and no one can judge you. No one can tell you that you're wrong. No one can be critical of you because it really, at the end of the day, it's your pathway, and it ought to be nice and easy, shouldn't it? So you have a wide gate and an easy pathway, but you're also, notice you're not alone. For the gate is wide, the way is easy, and those who enter by it 
are many. You have lots and lots of traveling companions. And these are the folks that are easy to travel with because they leave you alone. They let you do their own thing. They never correct you. They never suggest to you that maybe you, you've made a bad decision. And if they get out of line and they say, you know, maybe you ought to think about doing things a certain way, everybody else around them looks at them and says, who are you to judge? Leave, leave that person alone. Let them be who they want to be. This is their life. And we have a wide gate and a relaxed pathway, but we have lots of traveling companions. And the majority of folks make, makes it feel good, makes it a fun trip. Jesus is clearly speaking metaphorically here, and what he is saying cannot be missed. This is the pathway of of temporal self-indulgence. It's making all of life about me, and you and anybody else is a distant second. Now, that doesn't mean I'm the worst person I could possibly be. There are plenty of good folks who do kind of good moral things who are along this pathway. They're not necessarily out to hurt anybody, but they certainly want to live life on their terms. They want to do it the way they want to do it. This is 21st century culture. This is quintessential America right here. Have you seen the the Derek Jeter commercial? I think MasterCard put it out uh, last week during the playoffs, which we're not watching anymore. I'm sorry. Somebody had on a Cardinals shirt this morning. I'm so glad that that somebody hasn't totally given up on them. But... um, there's the Derek Jeter, and it's showing him, uh, you know, going through his career, and, and, it, and it's kind of in black and white, and then it goes to color. It's really, really well done. I'm not sure who the firm was that put it together, but it was phenomenal. It was just so cool to watch him in each phase, and they just picked out the perfect moments. The song in the background that's playing during this commercial, I did it my way, right? I did it my way. And in baseball, that's good. I got I, I no problem with anybody doing it in baseball their way, but that's the pathway here. The pathway here says it's wide, it's easy, nobody will fight with you. It's where you want to go, when you want to go, with as much of your baggage as you want to take, and nobody will hurt you in any way. That's the benefit. Let's get on this pathway as quickly as possible, right? Except, now we have to look at the cost. And the cost is found in one word. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Or Jesus put it a different way in another teaching. He said, what can a person exchange for their soul? You don't want to gain the whole world and forfeit your very soul. You see, the cost is the destination. And ultimately, this destination leads to destruction as defined by Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the teacher. Okay, Jesus is explaining. So I went to a couple other places in the New Testament. and And I looked up some other words that Jesus uses for destruction. And some of the other words he used, I'm just going to toss out a couple this morning. He uses the word darkness. And a darkness that's like groping darkness, where like you can't see your hand in front of your face. He uses the notion of weeping. Uh, he uses the notion of, of one gnashing their teeth. In other words, when you gnash your teeth, you're, you're angry, you're disgusted, you're bitter. The, the sense of, I can't fix this, I'm, I'm so frustrated, I can't get this right. Or a sense of, of incredible, overwhelming disappointment. How could I have possibly missed this? A sense of just absolute, uh, total uh, coming undone emotionally and spiritually. He also uses the notion of ongoing eternal torment. When he talks in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man who had all the good things in life was on the white pathway is now in an ongoing torment that never ends. Is that really a cost that I want to bear? 
Is that really a cost that you want to bear? It may be wide. It may be relaxed. There may be plenty of folks to have a lot of fun with along the way, but you get to the end and you're standing not in a wonderful place, but you're standing on the precipice of destruction. That's the benefit-cost ratio of rejecting the offer that Jesus gives us a new life. But there's a flip side to this message, praise God. It's found in the same verses in verses 13 and 14. And Jesus says this, enter by the narrow gate. He actually doesn't make any bones about it. He tells us exactly which is the right choice. So it isn't, it isn't that he's trying to, to hide this from it. It isn't like he's saying, you know, you really ought to flip a coin and see which way it turns out. Jesus says, pick the, pick the narrow gate. And he says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So now I want to flip it the other way. And instead of talking about the benefit first, let's talk about the cost first. The cost, first of all, is that this gate is narrow. It's a small gate. There aren't lots of gates. You can't take a lot of different ideologies through this gate. Only one fits, and that's a life of faith in Christ. It's the only thing that will get through this gate. And it's tough to spot. It isn't out there. It isn't obvious. It isn't something that our culture celebrates all the time. This is something you're going to hear from a lot of different people, as we'll see in just a moment. But it is identifiable. It can be found. But it is a narrow gate. Remember all those bags that you could bring on the easy way? Your pride, your greed, your anger, your lust, all those things that you want to pack up and bring along because they're the things that really make you feel good and, and make you enjoy life. You've got to leave all that behind. It won't fit. I can't take my hatred on this journey. I have to set it down at the cross of Christ. I can't bring my greed with me and enter into a life of discipleship because I can't get it through the door. And every moment of every day that I enter into this narrow gate, I have to be reminded that Jesus says the burden's got to be set down. The baggage that you want to carry that that identifies you as a broken and lost sinner has got to be set aside because it will not fit on this pathway. And by the way, you wouldn't want to bring it with you anyway because it's a hard pathway. It's a narrow pathway. It's a harrow. I've used the word harrowing there. It's one of those roads that you got to be real careful on that you can't misstep. You've got to be very, very careful because there are treacherous twists and turns. There are steep banks to be negotiated. It is not a simple, easy pathway. And if you've ever been uh, backpacking before, if you've ever gone out on a wilderness trip, uh, you know that when you, when you start out the trip and you've put all the stuff in your backpack and you put it on, the, one of the things you want to say is, does this feel about like the right weight? Have I, am I taking too much? Am I taking too little? When we used to take high school students backpacking, you didn't want to be the person that the guide walked up to and said, here, you have, and they hand you an empty plastic trash bag. And they say, you've got the trash bag. Now, you think when you first get it, that's wonderful. I mean, how much does a, does a black plastic trash bag Well, you got two of them, right? Nothing. So you want to get that. No, you don't, because as that bag goes throughout the trip, it gets heavier. Because <laughs> all the stuff that we're not using anymore, but we're not going to leave behind, we're not going to clutter up the wilderness, right? That goes into the trash bag. You want your pack to get lighter as the trip goes on, not heavier. And this is the kind of trip where you sit down and say, I'm only taking what I absolutely need. I'm only going to bring what I absolutely need because this is a difficult, difficult pathway. 
Anybody ever climbed, uh, the Colorado has, you know, the 14,000-foot peaks. Anybody ever climbed Uncompagre Peak in, uh, in southwestern Colorado? Okay, we've got a couple of folks that have climbed that peak. It's actually a relatively easy peak in the sense that there's no technical parts of the climb. It's what they call a walk-up. Now, it, it's a steep walk-up. It, it, you know, you're going to not... You know, you're going to lose your breath a little bit as you go up, but you don't have to be roped in or harnessed in. It's a, it's a pretty good pathway going up to that. So when we hiked that many years ago, we thought this is, this is you know, it's going to be all right. It's not going to be too bad. What they didn't tell us, though, what we didn't bother to look at was the only way to get to the trailhead is going up Nellie Creek Road. Remember Nellie Creek Road where you're driving up Nellie Creek Road? You actually want to do it before dawn so you don't look to your left because <laughs> if you look down to your left, you wouldn't drive on Nellie Creek Road because it's literally, I don't know, 1,500 feet straight down to the bottom. And there are no guardrails there. This is not a place that's, you know, this is out in the wilderness. And just to get to the trailhead, you kind of look at it and go, ah, man, is there another, another peak maybe that we want to climb? Jesus says no when you get on this pathway. It's going to be a challenging journey. The gate's narrow. You can't bring a lot of your personal stuff with you. And, and, the, and the pathway is narrow. There are challenges at every turn. And by the way, you only have a few companions. There are very few people that ultimately find this pathway. Because you see, this is really is a pathway of faith. That's the one thing you bring on this trip. If you want to know what you put in your bag, you put one thing in your bag. You put faith in your bag. You say, I can't save myself. My greed, my anger, my lust, my, you know, all that stuff that's in all those other bags, that's what separates me from God. That's what keeps me off this pathway. That's what keeps me from the ultimate benefit, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. This is all the stuff that's leading me to destruction, so I've got to set it down. I've got to confess that it's not what I should be carrying. You set that down and you live that life and you're going to have people look at you and go, what's wrong with you? Now, they might not say it that way because most of us run in a fairly polite circles of culture, but people will say things like, well, if that works for you, that's nice. That's good for you to, to believe in that, but, but surely God accepts many types of faith. Or, you know, that, that ha, that's nice, but have you read some of the newer books, some of the newer things that science has discovered lately? You're going to get kind of a patronizing pat on the head. People will be polite to you, but what they're really saying to you is you're really taking your faith seriously. If your life is based on, that's the one thing in your bag is faith. They're going to they're gonna think, what's the matter with you? And there are only going to be a handful of other people that go, you know what, I'm, I'm right next to you. And, and it's tough enough to carry just faith, but let's, let's be on the journey together. There won't be a crowd of travelers to exhort you on this pathway of faith. But that's the metaphor that Jesus is using this morning. This pathway is simply faith in Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. I am the way that you, that you enter in. He is the one. And yet there are moments when that's a very, very difficult choice. Because these other things cling on to us. They're not just necessarily bags that we carry, but they're actually things that, wanna, that they want to be on the journey with us. My greed wants to go with me wherever I go. My gossip, my anger wants to go with me every day of my life. And I have to intentionally set it down and say, you can't come. You're not invited here because you're what's killing me. You're what's leading to my destruction. It's only my faith that brings me to the place I want to be. That can be a hard spot. It would be a scary spot. I don't know any disciple that's worth their salt that has a thought at a moment or two in their life, boy, I sure hope this is all true. (laughs) 
I'm basing my whole life on this. And it's been a little scary at times because God's maybe felt distant. Jesus hasn't felt like he's just exactly right there. And, and you know deep in your heart that, that it's true. But, but boy, there are moments when you just get a little bit scared, get a little bit nervous. And it could also be, as we mentioned a, little, a moment ago, it could be a little bit lonely. You may look around and, and may not at that particular point in your life have any traveling companions with you on the journey. Some of you are in families where you're the only Christian, you're the only disciple of Jesus, and there are lots of times when you feel like the odd man out. It feels like you're all alone. But this pathway has one benefit, and one benefit only, but it can't be missed, because it's really the only benefit that matters. Jesus says, you follow this pathway, set aside your thinking you're going to save yourself. Set aside the notion the world gives to live in the easy pathway and just live for yourself and live for this life only. And if you get on this pathway of faith and you trust in me, I will give you life. So I want to come back. I I gave you a couple of other words that Jesus used for destruction. I want to give you a couple of other words that Jesus uses for this word life. Another word he uses is eternal. It's ongoing. It's not just for this life. Everlasting would be another word that we would use, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life, right? That's another word that he uses. Another word Jesus uses is abundant. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full, have it to overflowing. I put a, uh, we've got a, a new little one cup coffee maker in the office this morning, and I added water to it and then put my cup under it and pushed the button. The only problem was somebody else had added water to it before and hadn't used all of it. So I go and run to my office and turn a couple things on, and I come back, and we have coffee in abundance. <laughs> it is everywhere, and Tom's now got to do a little bit of cleanup before anybody else shows up, and the kitchen has dried coffee everywhere. That's the kind of life Jesus wants to give. You can't hold it all. It's going to take you eternity to enjoy it. Think about that for a minute. This everlasting life is because God says, that's how much time you need to really get to know me and to really experience everything I have for you, which means it's never ending. That's the benefit. I remember one other peak that I climbed in Colorado years ago in the Collegiate Range. It's the fourth highest peak in Colorado. It's called La Plata. I don't know why it's called La Plata. All the other peaks in the Collegiate Range are called Harvard and Yale, and and this one was called La Plata. But we we climbed it on an absolutely glorious summer day, and it was a hard climb. It was a difficult climb, and we got up there. We left before the sun came up, and we we got to the peak. You want to try and peak usually late morning about 11. I think we got there about 1, and we had about an hour to sit before the afternoon clouds started to roll in. If you've never sat at 14,000 feet, whatever, uh, 14,000 something, you ought to do it. It's unbelievable. I mean, the 360 panorama, you, you can't possibly take it all in. You could spend an entire day, an entire week, an entire month sitting there, and you would see something different from every angle, from every place where the sun is in the sky. It is truly remarkable, but I wouldn't recommend the journey to anybody. It was so hard getting there so difficult. We had to be determined not to take anything other than we, what we absolutely needed, which was a little bit of food in this pocket and a water bottle here and another water bottle strapped to the back and a jacket for when we sat down and it got cold. And that was it because that's what it was going to take to get to the top. But once you got there, you forgot the climb. Didn't matter. 
Didn't matter that it took you four and a half hours, five hours, six hours, whatever the time was to get there. Now you just sat back and went, this, I can't even explain it. That's what's going to happen someday. The stuff you're dealing with now, the difficulties in your life, the challenges to your faith, the things that I face that that wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning that challenge me, that tempt me would maybe be a better word to say, you know what, the faith isn't all it's cut out to be. The, the, the journey's too hard. You need to start trusting in, in the things of this world instead of Jesus. Those moments are all going to be gone. And I think when you're in heaven, and I think this is biblical, Jesus says, I'm going to wipe every tear from your eyes. So I think there's a moment in heaven where you're still kind of crying, and then you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, there's Jesus, I'm home. This is, this is unbelievable, and the tears are wiped away, and you begin to experience heaven, and somebody comes up to you who, who knew you in this life, and they said, you remember that really hard time we had? You remember that real struggle that we went through, and you go, I don't know what you're talking about. But hey, let's go talk to Moses for 20,000 years. I got some questions I want to ask him, right? Oh my gosh, look at this view that God created. What troubles, I don't even know what troubles are anymore. That's the offer that Jesus gives. That's the benefit, the cost was his life on the cross, given in exchange for us. Because Jesus never preached a sermon, he didn't live. Think about this for just a moment. Jesus never chose the easy pathway at the expense of others. He never lived for himself. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Beyond that, he always lived by the faith to which he's calling us. Jesus says, take one thing on this journey, take faith. Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, he said, Father, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus lived out the faith that he calls us to. He trusted his heavenly Father in every situation, even on the cross. The last words of Jesus, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus never preaches a sermon he doesn't live. Because of the pathway Jesus chose. He is triumphant over the grave. He's triumphant over death. And he alone can offer us eternal life. There are two pathways here, but two pathways mean what? One choice. There's either this way or that way. That's just, there's only one choice before us. I can be on this path or I can be on that path. Jesus says, consider the benefit-cost ratio. Consider where you're going to end up. Consider the offer of life. Which one will we pick? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the doorway to the passage of faith. You're not calling us in this text to earn our salvation by by working harder than everybody else. You're calling us to reject the notion that anything else can save us but your grace and your mercy. And you, you promise us that a life of discipleship is a hard life. It is a strenuous pathway. It is a narrow door and a narrow path. And there are going to be times when we look around and we don't even see anybody else on our part of the pathway. And we're so tempted to run to that which is easy, to that which is more of our old nature, wanting to live the way we used to. Jesus, draw us back this morning. Remind us that this pathway of discipleship is a pathway that leads to life. And Lord Jesus, for any disciples this morning that are discouraged or struggling, I pray that we would love one another well, 
You don't say there's nobody else on the pathway. You just say it's a less crowded one. So, Lord, we need to look out for each other. We need to care for one another. Lord Jesus, may we be a congregation that cares well for one another on this pathway. But, Father, there may also be some folks here this morning that have never been offered this way of life. They don't know about it. They've never before heard that they could come to you in faith, trusting in you instead of trusting in their own abilities. So, Lord, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you want to know how you get on the pathway, you get on the pathway by saying, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I reject my, my previous notions. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done those things that are wrong. But I'm trusting that what you did on the cross was enough for me. That's the doorway to a pathway that leads to life. Lord Jesus, may every person in this room, by your grace and by your mercy, be on that pathway. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand and respond.